Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catitude. I'm your show host, Michelle Byrne. Today's show touches my heart in a way that I cannot even tell you because I have on my show today three women that have all been recognized for their work with perfectly imperfect shelter foster cats and kittens. These women go so above and beyond and I can't wait for them to share their stories with all of you. So stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is, I guess, my learn about the shelter show with these amazing women that do the work that we can only think about. A lot of us don't understand what goes on in shelters. And I really hope by the end of this show, we have more of a greater understanding about that. And today with me, and first of all, I want to say congrats to everyone because each of these women are winners of the Arm & Hammer Feline Generous Award. So congratulations. We have Chris Kaiser with the Biddy Kitty Brigade. Erin Insigna, I'm so sorry if I messed up your name. And she's with the Delaware Valley Humane Society. And Ashley Mazarin, who is with the Cats League and Assistance of the Western Slope. Welcome, ladies. Thank I you for having us. I am so excited to have you. Okay, since hopefully I'm sorry if I bodged your names up. I want each of you to just give me a little short synopsis of what you do with your work with these perfectly imperfect shelter cats. So Chris, why don't you start? Yeah, so I am a foster caregiver and in Minneapolis with an organization called the Biddy Kitty Brigade, and they are entirely foster based. So I ended up with Snapple about seven months ago, and he was a kitten that was displaying signs of cerebellar hypoplasia. So he was very wobbly. But in addition to that, he has spastic front legs. So his front legs aren't overly functional. And so his quality of life care like really came into question. And so we started having adventures and things. And I documented it on Instagram, both to like, obviously give him some adventure and stimulation to have a happy life. And even though he's not the most mobile kitten in the world. And 
So then through his Instagram, also try to help find him an adopter because with such a disabled kitten, you know, it's a little tougher to find that perfect person. It's not just about finding somebody who's interested in taking him, but also that their lifestyle would match up with his needs. So that was kind of how the award came about was, you know, helping going, I guess, out of coming up with ideas to help him through his adventures, but also to get him noticed through his Instagram. So. He's adorable. Every time I look at those pictures, I'm like, I'm close to tears, but he just fights and keeps going and sprints around like crazy. Has a very big personality. So he's a lot of fun. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Ashley, tell us about what you do at the Cats League and Assistance of the Western Slope in Colorado. So my mom actually was the one who started and founded Claws 15 years ago when I was little kid. Um, And, you know, I've just always grown up with Claws. But recently in this past year, I decided I wanted to make more of a difference within the organization. So I clean the shelter six days a week. And I also am the adoption coordinator. So I review all of our adoption applications, handle all the interviews, as well as the adoption events. Okay. And thanks. And then tell us a little bit about you have a kitten with special needs that you work with called Reed. I do. Yes. Reed is, oh my gosh, he is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. So two years ago I was working at a different job and I got a call about this kitty who had been first attacked by a dog. And then he was struck by a car in his attempt to get away from the dog. This resulted in him being paralyzed from the mid back down. So I went and picked him up and he was extremely malnourished. He was very, very sick. So I took him to our shelter, you know, gave him some medication, some antibiotics and got him cleaned up real good and gave him canned food. And you would think he'd never seen food in his life the way the poor little guy ate. And we had him for about a year, but his back legs and tail, since he wasn't able to use them, they became atrophied. So we had to unfortunately make the decision to remove them. But that was the best thing we could have done for Reed. Afterwards, he was so happy. He, as far as we can tell, has no pain. He gets around great. And his two front legs are so buff from him scooting himself around. And he is just the happiest little sweetest cat ever. Due to his special needs, he's not available for adoption. But he does live here at our shelter. And everybody just adores Reed. Ah, You were telling me the story. I'm getting goosebumps and just hearing that. The work you do. So, Erin, welcome. What do you do at the Delaware Valley Humane Society? I know you had a rescue situation. 91 cats were rescued from an abandoned trailer, and you did some work with a special kitty named Joe. So, can you tell us a little briefly about the rescue and then a little bit about Joe? Oh, goodness. Yes. It's my favorite thing to talk about, to be honest with you. So (laughs) uh, yeah, my name is Erin Nsinga. I'm the director at the Delaware Valley Humane Society located in New York. We've been a no-kill shelter for just under 20 years. And I've been with the shelter now for uh, seven years this month. And uh, yeah, the day that we received the phone call, it was April, right before Easter. We were really, really low on cats, right? And, And this is exactly what happens in shelter life. So we were low on cats. So I had sent one of my employees home and I said, I can cover the rest. I, I can do the rest of the cat room. No worries. Well, the minute that that employee left, we got the phone call that I'll never forget that we had to go and help these cats. It was said to be 50 cats in a trailer. And when we got there, 
we loaded 50 cats and I'm looking around the trailer. It's a single wide trailer. And I'm like, have we even made a dent in this situation? So we had to, I had to call in some of my allies and rescue locally. And uh, thank goodness they stepped up and helped us because I just simply couldn't take 91 cats at one time. It's just impossible on top of the cats that you already have. So it was a real team effort that people came through and helped us. But, you know, these cats, they were misfits. They still are misfits. We still have a lot of them due to the zero ventilation and the, unfortunately, the inbreeding and the the complete lack of medical care that they had received their entire lives. And they were old. So these cats had lived that way for over 10 years, most of them, you know, they have chronic respiratory issues. A lot of them are missing eyes. A lot of them, they're just inundated with infection, but we love them. They are very, very sweet. They love to be around people. They're some of the most affectionate cats we've ever had at DVHS. So they're, they, we still have several of them up for adoption. And then tell us real quickly about Joe. So Joe was basically, he came, I'm not even kidding. He was pretty much dead on arrival when he came. His temperature was so low. His pupils, his vitals were horrible. It was something that I've never seen before. He was stiff as a board, frozen stiff. And my vet happened to be there that day and I brought him in to euthanize him. I mean, that's what I thought we were going to do because it was the right thing to do. And she said, no, we're not going to do that yet. So we believed in him. We believed in the fact that we could bring him back and he could have a good life. And that's exactly what, you know, I did with my team. And he is the mascot at a local feed store here in Sydney. And he is definitely a local celebrity. Okay, I have a question for all of you. You all work with so many of the cats that you've rescued or fostered are either knocking on death's door or close and they have so many problems. What does it take to say, okay, I'm going to make this, you know, cat have a great life. I just want something like quick from each of you, because a lot of people, you know, have this thing. Well, it's just and, and I'm you know, these are things I've heard in the cat world and and, um, you know, hosting the show for all these years, not from people I've you know hosted, but just you hear this out there in the world. Oh, it's just a cat. You know, he doesn't have legs. It'd be hard to do, blah, blah, blah. What does it take to take this this poor little kitty that's missing legs or born deformed or something and say, you know what, I'm going to give this cat its best life. So let's see, Chris, you want to go first? Yes. Yeah, so for Snapple. Early on, that was a big consideration because how does a cat with limited mobility and in, in general have that happy life? When I was interacting with him, he has like such a sparky, like fun personality. He acts happy. He eats great. He purrs nonstop whenever you're interacting with him. So then it was really a matter of like, okay, how can I keep him properly stimulated and give him the joy and freedom that he needs to have that happy life? So for him, like, he goes on like mini adventures where maybe I carry him around and even or put him in a little sling and he helps me fold laundry or we go outside and check out sticks and leaves and he loves flies like that's the coolest thing ever apparently in the summertime so just doing little things that lets him be like a normal cat and then he also has a wheelchair cart that he gets exercise in once or twice a day and he can run around and he's happy. It's just his life is a little different. And then when he isn't, you know, getting that attention from me, he does scoot around a little bit and he wrestles with his friend, Natalie, and 
plays with his toys. So that's kind of how I guess I looked at it with Snapple was just that he's showing me in his personality and how he interacted with me that he wanted to be here and how much joy he got from doing those little things. I guess just made it clear that the little extra time in the day was worth it. Okay, thank you so much. Ashley, what would you tell someone who said whether it's, you know, with Reed or with maybe another you know, cat rescue that is very, you know, very sickly and you or missing an eye or has a, a deformed leg, but you still want to give this cat its best life. What gives you the power to go and make this happen? Because it's not easy. Just having cats that are well can be challenging, but but sure. cats that have, you know, problems and are special needs that can be even much, much more challenging. For sure. Yeah. So like I said, you know, when my mom started Claws 15 years ago, um, even before that, she was doing volunteer work with another animal rescue. So I've grown up around cats and, you know, I've just always seen cats is like, they're not just cats, you know, (laughs) they're like equals, they're family, they're our friends. And, you know, I've worked with feral cats, I've worked with terminally ill cats, and ultimately everyone deserves a chance at life regardless of their situation. And we are the only ones who can make that happen for these cats. I mean, you know, if I get sick, I can go take myself to the doctor. If I get injured, I can go to the hospital. But if a cat is sick or injured or even just terrified of people, we are the only ones who can help them and give them a chance at life. So that's why I believe in doing what we do is these poor cats are helpless and we are the only ones who can help them. We are the only ones who can make their life better. So I feel like we have a responsibility to do everything we can to help them because everyone deserves a chance at life. Oh, thank you. And Erin, what keeps you going with, you know, you get calls like this, what, you know, there's bazillion cats to rescue and you have, you know, other special needs cats and all of that going. What gives you the, you know, energy to just say, okay, I have to take care of these cats. They have special needs. I have to keep going. Well, I think that a huge part of what keeps me going in those situations is that we have had an outpouring of support from our community because you always have to have a plan, right? You don't want to just, we can't simply just save them all. We have to have money. We have to have these, our fundraising efforts have to be successful. Our community has to believe in what we're doing. The quality of life has to be measured. We want to keep animals alive if it's the best thing for that animal. It's not what's easiest for us. It's what's best for the animal. And that's a tough balance sometimes because I think that sometimes it's very hard for us. It's always hard for us to make those decisions. But if we're measuring the quality of life and it is in our means to provide the surgery or the rehabilitation or the the living environment that a cat needs, then that's what we do. That's what we are built for. It's we are here for this. But again, you have to have a vet staff. uh, You have to have a foster base. You have to have an adopting base. You have to have all of these things in line in order to make it work. Fortunately, our community specifically, if I ask for help, if we need a, a leg amputated or an eye taken out, I mean, these are real things that happen. It takes a lot of money. And all I simply have to do is put it on Facebook and I ask for the funds and it's done. But then we have to have a plan afterwards. So it's really about, again, measuring the quality of life for that animal and seeing if you can provide that. Thank you. That's kind of a lead into what I'm going to ask right after the break. So we're going to take a short break for our sponsor and we'll be right back. 
bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with three amazing women, Chris, Aaron, and Ashley, that are recipients of the Arm & Hammer Feline Generous Awards. And they have just done phenomenal work with rescues, with kitties. And now this is something I've pondered. And I think a lot of us, you know, have gone to shelters. I I always am a bigger proponent of adopt, don't shop, rescue. All my cats found me. I didn't even have to look. I mean, you know, there's unfortunately so many roaming around. But let's talk about what happens in a shelter, because a lot of people don't have a clue as to what happens kind of, I don't know, behind the doors, behind the curtains, what goes on on a regular basis. So I just want maybe something short that you would share with the public that you would not believe that this is an ordinary day, you know? So let's see. I know we've been going in a certain order here, but let's mix it up. So Ashley, what happens at Claws that you could give us like just a little insight in just a regular day of the struggles and I guess joys of uh, being at Claws? So I'm sure Chris and Aaron and everyone who works in a shelter can relate to this. You know, unfortunately, there's a reputation out there that shelters are like a really bad place to take your animal, that that's like a last resort. And, you know, that shelters are just money hungry. They don't care about the animals, etc. Here at Claws, we are a no-kill shelter as well as a 501c3. Um, so we're a nonprofit. And, you know, we have a process for when somebody needs to relinquish a kitty to us. We usually ask for a $100 relinquishment fee. And, you know, a lot of people go, oh my God, $100? You have to be crazy. But the thing is, you know, you got to figure a bag of cat food is like $16, a thing of litters around the same price. So when you take $100 for one cat, there's no guarantee that that cat is going to get adopted within the week, within the month, or maybe even the year. You know, we have no way of knowing who's going to get adopted and who's not. So $100 really doesn't go very far in a shelter, unfortunately. And that's a problem. You know, people think, oh, I can just dump my animal off at the shelter and it's fine. But they don't realize the cost part of it, that that's really hard for shelters to pay for, you know, medical bills when the cat's sick or injured, or even if they bring us just an unspayed kitten, you know, we still have to pay for that spay before we can get them out to adoptions. And in our shelter, we have a shelter sanctuary, and then we have an adoption center. Our adoption center is where we house all of our adoptable kitties. And our shelter is where our kitties who aren't quite ready to go to adoption or who are our sanctuary kitties that are going to live with us for the rest of their lives are. So when we tell people, you know, that we're full, we can't take any more, 
they think, oh, you know, I can just call another shelter. But with the pandemic and everything, everybody is just so overwhelmed with cats, especially here in Colorado. I'm not sure how it is in other areas, but I would imagine it's the same that we are just very high volume. And it's been it's been a crazy two years. It seems like there are just more and more cats and we are doing everything we can to help. Okay, thank you so much. Erin, what would you like people to know? Yes, and I think that Ashley made some excellent points. And kind of Delaware Valley Humane Society is, is run very, very similar, like she said, um, but we actually have dogs too. We're a contract shelter where we get um, stray dogs in from three different townships. So unfortunately, cats are, like I have mentioned before, are not covered in the township contract. So the cats that we are getting in are owner surrenders, you know, cats that are found on your neighbor's front porch if they if they moved out and left them behind, a litter of kittens that were found under a porch. We are getting owned animals that are being surrendered. We asked for a donation fee, but our dog intake is quite high too. So, but yeah, we're doing FIV leukemia testing first. We have our holding spot and we're hitting the adoption floor. We're trying to get them out, um, but we are just a stepping stone to get them ready for adoption. That's ultimately how we look at every single animal that steps foot in our shelter. We are a stepping stone. We are a temporary situation. Unfortunately, some of the cats that we've had at the shelter have been at the shelter for well over 10 years. They've tried, we've tried to send them home and they just don't thrive. Unfortunately, they get so accustomed to being with us and at the shelter and our schedule that when they do go into a home, you can tell some people till you're blue in the face that what should happen and what the plan should be for that cat. But a lot of times they really don't follow that plan. So we're setting the cats up for not for success when we send them home. So we do have some resident cats there. Uh, but the length of time is of this day is, is relatively short, um, which is great. But for every five cats that go, go out, we're getting like 15 in. So it's very frustrating. Oh, gosh. Okay, thank you. And Chris, your situation is different because you're with the Biddy Kitty Brigade is more of a foster network. So what would you like people to know about the foster network? Sure. So Biddy Kitty Brigade does specialize in neonatal kittens. We do take special needs kittens as well, but for the most part, it's neonatal kittens. So when those kittens come in, it's usually fairly urgent and there's not a lot of time. Like you need to get them into a foster home and get that feeding schedule set. So for me as a foster caregiver, if I take in some new kittens that are newborn, I'm prepared to be bottle feeding every two hours around the clock. And then you slowly taper that off as they grow and get older. But behind the scenes, there's a whole team of people who are arranging intake. So they're the ones that are responding to the messages that come in. Hey, we found these kittens. What do we do? Then there's a team that does the actual intake and kind of medically reviews them and makes sure they're good, maybe does some protocols to get them ready to get to the foster home. And then there's transporters, like if these kittens are from out of the metro area, like that bring them into intake. And then once we're fostering them, we're taking them to get shots. And so that's people behind the scenes that are scheduling all the medical and then medical alone there, you know, is a, is a whole huge job for the team behind the scenes, responding to people's foster caregivers questions and getting them into the bed and whatnot. And then by the time they're adopted, you know, they've been spayed and neutered and get photography and bios written. So there's 
so much behind the scenes beyond what happens in the foster home. And I think probably a lot of people don't really know like how much goes into every kitten that goes through somebody's care. Thank you so much. I have I have two things I want to ask and whoever wants to jump in. One, I think a lot of people think when, you know, you're a shelter or, you know, you're a foster network that the medical care is greatly reduced. I know that there's some costs that are a little lower, but, you know, instead of a neuter spade at your vet for maybe, I don't know, what is it, 150, 200? I know you can get it at the Humane Society too, but they have this idea that it's greatly reduced at the shelter. Is there truth to that? No, I, no. Okay. <laughs> if anything, it's, I agree. Uh, no, I'll pipe right in on that one. <laughs> if anything, that is the greatest challenge that I have faced in the seven years at DVHS. We have a vetting shortage and a huge vetting crisis in this country. I think in every state across the board, it is a real problem. Um, there are people I have said before who want to do the right thing, but they cannot afford. Uh, there is a local vet here charging four hundred and twenty dollars to spay one female cat. It is ridiculous. I don't have four hundred and twenty dollars right now, you know, and I'm the director at the shelter, so it can't happen. We really, really have to do better. The shelter does not get a discount. We have to actually go out of state. We are in upstate New York. We transport our cats to Pennsylvania. They spend the night and come back the next day in a transport van to get them spayed and neutered because we simply cannot afford to do it where we are. (laughs) Wait, they charge you $400? Four hundred and twenty dollars to spay one female cat. Where that we is live. insane. Yes. That is it's, so. It is. It's criminal because what we're doing is we're preaching to people to spay and neuter. But I myself would not be able to afford that if I were in that position. That's crazy. I mean, wow. It is crazy. It's infuriating. Yes. So the shelter doesn't get a discount uh, per se. We the sh- uh, vets typically try to squeeze us in. But the problem is, is that vets are having a hard time seeing their own clients. We're not clients. They're, they're going to see a dog, one of our dogs or one of our cats one time and be done. So it's not really a long-term relationship, which is what they want, right? So they want to have long-term clients that will come back over and over and over again because it is a business first and foremost. But, so no, we are at the bottom of the totem pole as far as priority goes where we are. That is crazy. I completely agree with what Aaron said. And I would just like to also chime in with one thing real quick, if I may. So we here in Colorado at Claws, we are fortunately very blessed because we do have four veterinarians locally that do cut us a little bit of a break in terms of spaying and neutering. So what they do is we provide our facility as a spay clinic and the vets just come in and donate their time. You know, they are still compensated, of course, but at a reduced rate. And sometimes we spay up to 40 cats in a day, just doing these high volume clinics and If it weren't for that, there is no way we would be able to afford to do this. Back before Claws had as many cats as we do, we used to have to travel up to Denver, um, which is about four and a half hours away from where we're located. And, you know, we would transport all these kittens and cats up there to be spayed and neutered and then bring them back the next day. And that was that was really rough. Um, So we're blessed that we have these spay and neuter costs reduced. But 
like Reed's surgery, that was, you know, full cost. We just had a kitten come in who had been hit by a car who had to have her hip reconstructed and her other leg casted. And, you know, we're going to get the full bill for that as well. Right. That's kind of crazy. You would think, you know, since you're a shelter and you're doing what you can and it's you survive on donations and fundraisers and so forth that you don't get more of a break. It is very frustrating. And I I will just add, I'm sorry, one thing. Um, I am very, very fortunate. My mom was actually the one who nominated me for this great award. She runs All Animals Matter. It's close by where we live that helps people stay and neuter their animals. They have money that's given to them in endowments. And she certainly, we have a really great partnership with her. So if I have to get a cat, you know, we've had surgery, we've had to have surgeries and what have you. All Animals Matter will always help us with a couple hundred dollars. And then I can do some fundraising online. So it's really nice to partner with an organization that is not a rescue, but is only geared towards helping financially people or organizations that need help. Um, So we're very, very fortunate to have that partnership, but she can do that because she's not a rescuer or a shelter. So it's just, it's a very fortunate connection that I have her being my mom. So I just, I feel bad for shelters that don't have something like all, all animals matter, you know, what's working with them. I'm grateful and thrilled that you have that. Chris, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I was just listening to this great program thinking, wow, that's really cool. So yeah, it is expensive. There isn't really a big discount for the vet care. There is a small discount for us, but but we are lucky because there are so many passionate people that donate. And so vet care isn't limited, I wouldn't say for a kitten, but you know, for a lot of places, I know that that's a big part of decision-making for whether a cat will live or die is if there is the funds for it. So I guess... In Snapple's case, I'm really lucky that both Bitty Kitty Brigade had the funds and all these passionate donors to support them and that I was able to have the time to care for him. So, Well, again, thanks for all of those comments. Okay, I have another question. And in just in thinking about the cat world in general, about, you know, cats that are TNR cats, rescue cats, what people try to do, the mistakes they make, you know, that kind of stuff. I want to know your biggest peeve. So I'll share mine. This is such a frustration to me because I'll tell you, I get so frustrated when I see that people are just feeding cats that are out there, but not doing anything. I didn't even know until, I don't know, about a year ago, there's the term feeder breeders, because it's wonderful you're feeding them, but if you're not getting them fixed, then you're not solving the problem. And these cats are going to die. You can't feed the, the hundreds that will you know, end up being born by not fixing them. So that's one of my frustrations. So it might not be shelter related, but I want to know each of yours. So let's see, um, whoever wants to go for first. I will. Um, So I have to say my biggest frustration is free kittens on Craigslist or Facebook. There is no such thing as a free kitten. We believe that every cat should be spayed or neutered because they're, I mean, the world's never going to run out of cats. Like there are so many, I mean, on my drive home from work to home, I probably see six or seven stray cats running around because we just, where we're located, we have such a feral and stray cat problem. And it's just, it's gotten way worse through this pandemic, you know, when the vet offices had to close or reduce their hours. And then with inflation and the rates going up, I mean, all of this stuff going on, 
it makes it harder for people to spay and neuter their pets. So they don't think anything of it when Princess Callie gets outside and has kittens. Everybody's, oh, you know, so excited. We're going to have kittens. And then, you know, turn around and give them away on Craigslist or Facebook. Nothing good ever happens to a free kitten. It is very, very, very rare that they fall into the hands of the right person who's going to get them fixed, going to provide them a loving home. Our adoption rates, you know, people like to complain about those too, but it shows that you're committed to taking care of an animal. It's a family member. You know, it's not, it's an investment. You know, they're going to get sick and need to see a vet. They're going to need to eat. You're going to have to pay for litter, all of that stuff. So people say all the time, oh, we'll just go to the other shelter and get one for $15 or we'll just get one on Facebook. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. But our adoption fee covers a spay and or neuter, a microchip. All of their shots are up to date. And, you know, you're looking at anywhere from three to $700 for that alone, depending on which vet you go to here locally. Okay. Anyone else? Well, I had a chance to think about mine while (laughs) Ashley was talking and hitting every nerve of mine today. (laughs) So I figured I would start with the one that happens the most frequently and the reason why we have the majority of the cats that we have at the shelter now. When people move and they can't bring their cats, have a plan in place. Ask a family member, like make your own arrangements. Don't assume that the shelter is the best place to just, and I put in quotation marks, drop off your cat because we're in the process of like typically on every day on a daily basis we're helping cats that will be dying starving fighting breeding on the streets not owned cats so really you have to have a plan and that's probably one of my biggest frustrations and that and then i think when people when they this happens quite frequently they have great intentions and they want to do like trapping but they have no plan after they trap a feral cat and the shelter is not a place for a feral cat it's a huge insurance liability for my staff 80 dollars because it, <laughs> the infection got into her bloodstream and she had to go to the er so we can't house safely feral cats so you have to have a plan okay yes I agree 100%. Okay. And Chris? Yes. Really what Ashley said too, you know, a lot of people do balk at the adoption fee and that doesn't even cover the medical that goes into a kitten going up for adoption for one thing. And also like if you find kittens in your area or you haven't spayed your cat and she gets pregnant, like really consider working with the rescue because there's a lot of effort that goes in to make sure those kittens are healthy to make sure they have that care if they do get sick, to vet the adopters so well, instead of just handing them out in your neighborhood or whatever. So I guess I would really, in our area, there are resources if you are willing to foster the kittens and help care for them, that I would just really strongly encourage working with that rescue to make sure that they get set up for success. Okay, thanks. So We're getting near the end of our show, and I wanted to tell all of you, congratulations on winning the Arm & Hammer Feline Generous Award. And just like a quick, because we're almost out of time, how will this help your rescue mission? And whoever wants to jump in first. Yes. So for the prize I received, it was $15,000 for my rescue organization. So that will go a long way for paying for spay and neuters and medical care for kittens. So It's such a huge blessing to get such a great award for this. Yes. Congratulations. Okay. Next, Ashley, Aaron. 
I'll go next. Um, so the award I won was $7,500 and that will definitely help our organization. We spend about $800 a month in litter and about the same in food to feed all of our kittens in foster care, as well as all the adult cats at both of our locations. So that will cover a couple months of food and litter. So we are very, very appreciative for Arm & Hammer giving that to us. Thank you. Okay. And Erin? Yes. Yeah, so I won the Compassion Award, which was $7,500 for DVHS, which is going to go a long way. Um, what people don't realize is that, you know, just one single FIB leukemia test is $35. So when you think about the intake, the amount that you're putting into each cat compared to what you're charging for an adoption fee, many times my adoption fees are actually sponsored or waived just because uh, we, we're able to do that. We are putting a lot of money into these cats to ensure that they are healthy and ready to go into loving homes. So that money is going to go directly towards helping that happen. Well, I want to thank each of you for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris, Aaron, Ashley. Thank you so much for coming on Catitude. I'm so happy, so proud of each of you, and so glad that you won the Arm & Hammer Feline Generous Award. I think they chose well. And congrats. And most of all, ladies, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you for having us. This was fun. Yes, thank this you so much. So fun. It's always good to talk about the things that people don't want to talk about. <laughs> Thank you very Congratulations, much. Congratulations, ladies. I hope everybody enjoyed this show. It touched my heart. These women do so much for rescue cats. And I know there's, there's many other people that do a lot of that same great work. But for these women, I'm so glad they were recognized and, you know, I just want to say again, thanks for all you do. And thanks to my rescues that taught me what it's like to be a cat mom. Dennis, Charlotte, Molly, Sammy, Jethro, got all of them. And, you know, that was my cat adventure. Well, Dennis was somebody left him behind. Sammy was a feral cat, pregnant, with had two pregnancies. Molly and Charlotte are her daughters. And uh, Jethro's her, her man. So it's been quite an adventure. Anyway, keep listening. We have all kinds of wonderful shows coming up. And remember, lose the attitude. Have catitude. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.